We're in Luke chapter 10 tonight. Now, my daughter is here, and about mid-service, you might hear her begin to scream. She's probably just agreeing with what I'm saying, so don't worry about her. She got her mama's looks, her mama's attitude, but she got her dad's lungs. So uh, we'll see how this goes. Luke chapter 10 tonight. Now, we've been covering a study on the sermons of Jesus. Uh, A few weeks ago, we covered some of the sermons that were paradoxical in nature, and that was when he said things like, uh, if someone smites you in the cheek, you turn the other cheek. And it sounded really strange to us uh, when we were going over that. And then even in that same sermon, he said, you know, if any man lends, or if you lend to any man, don't expect anything in return. You just lend with an open heart. And so those were the paradoxical sermons of Jesus Christ. Last week, we covered uh, how we are to bear our cross. And that was really a sermon given to his 12 disciples on how they were to bear the cross of Jesus Christ and, and how that was an in- instrument of torture. It was an instrument of pain. And they were supposed to take that up and to bear that heavy load. Tonight, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 10. And this is a sermon where Jesus sends 70 disciples uh, with his permission and with his power to minister to the Israelites. Now specifically, there are some things in this passage and and in the sermon that really, uh, just up front with you, doesn't necessarily apply to our personal evangelism. Uh, for instance, there's, we'll get into it here later this evening, but it says how they were supposed to go and they weren't supposed to carry a purse or a wallet. They were just supposed to go and they would go into the home and if the home offered them food, then they would eat that food. And, and we know that that was more specific to the custom of the Jews. As the Jews said, we accept your message, so we offer you a, a gift in return. So there's a few things that just simply don't apply to how we're going to go door knocking or how we're going to witness to Johnson County. But tonight, I still believe full-heartedly, and you'll see as we read the text, there is a lot in here for us to chew on. And there's a lot that does apply to us. So we find ourselves in Luke chapter 10. We'll begin reading in verse 1. The Bible says, After these things the Lord appointed other seventy also, and sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he, he himself would come. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your ways, behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Carry neither purse nor scrip nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And into whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it. If not, it shall turn to you again. And in the same house remain, eating and drinking such things as they give, for the laborer is worthy of his hire. Go not from house to house. And into whatsoever city ye enter, and they receive you, Eat such things as are set before you. Verse 9. And heal the sick that are therein. And say unto them, The kingdom of God has come nigh unto you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much for the testimony that we've already heard tonight from this missionary. Lord, what a great thing it is that so many people are uh, hearing the gospel and coming to know you as a result of that. Lord, tonight as I stand before the congregation to preach the Word of God, I pray that you would use me. I pray that you would fill me with your Spirit, as I've already asked. 
I pray that you would open the hearts of the hearers tonight, and I pray that your spirit would work in a mighty way. I ask and I pray all this in your son's precious name. Amen. Do you ever feel like there's just too much for you to do? Like you're a few hands short of the task that you need to have accomplished? I remember when I was uh, working at uh, a cutting horse farm, and Jimmy Purcelli, he's a member here. You see him occasionally. He's a good old boy. He's kind of funny. I love his laugh. He's a big fella, but he he laughs like this. (laughs) And so I love that about Jimmy. He's a unique character. But I remember I worked for him for about three summers. And during the summer, what we'd do is we'd ride these horses, and we would uh, saddle them up. We would uh, ride the horse down for, say, 15 to 20 minutes. And then we would hand that horse to Jimmy, and he would train the horse. And then we would take the horse, and we would clean it off, put it back into its stall, and do that again over and over again every night. Now, during the summer is when I was able to work for him because of school. But what I would do is uh, we would bell hay for about two or three weeks out of the year. So we would work horses from about 8 till 4 in the morning, 8 at night to 4 in the morning, and we'd bell hay and we would haul hay during the day. Uh, I don't know why I did that. That was a terrible idea. Uh, If you ever want to know anything about work, just go look at a bell of hay and walk away, and you'll know all there is to know about work. I've never worked so hard in my entire life as I did in those two weeks with Jimmy hauling hay. But the first summer was by far the worst. There was me, a lady who drove the tractor, and a boy named Ricardo. Now, Ricardo was a little older than me. He was about 16 or 17, but it was me and Ricardo that had to do all the heavy hay lifting. I think that summer we hauled something like 14,000 square bells of hay. And we would get them on these cotton trailers that were 16 feet, and we would... uh, piled these bells of hay seven stories high. So we'd take a bell of hay on the, on the uh, cotton uh, trailer, and then another bell, another bell, another bell, another bell, seven bells high. Now, I don't know how many bells that we hauled that year, but I remember Ricardo was not my favorite person. I remember one day we were in a barn, and we were stacking this hay, and you can imagine as we hauled one trailer after another trailer after another trailer into this barn where we covered the hay, it was about a hundred and, I don't know, thousand degrees in, in that barn. It was so warm, and especially the higher you got, the more you sweated, and the more that hay scratched you and stuck you, and, and like I said, the higher you got, the hotter it got. It was absolutely miserable. Me and Ricardo were the only people that hauled these bales, and we would haul them and stack them in this barn. We'd do this all day long. So we'd work horses in the cool of the night and go do the hardest work during the heat of the day. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And so me and Ricardo, we didn't get along, and this was the main reason. Ricardo was the best worker when Jimmy was around. But when Jimmy left... In the famous words of Ricardo, me no work till Yimmy bring me awa. I say, Ricardo, th- these bells, they got to get done. We've got, we've got to do the, do the bells. And just because we have water or don't have water doesn't make it any less work that we have to do. We've got to get this done. Me no work till Jimmy bring me awa. 
And he said that over and over, and me and Ricardo didn't get along. And so basically, it was me moving all these bells of hay, and maybe I have a little bit of a woe-is-me attitude about the situation, but it was a lot of work, and it was hard work. And so as I viewed all these bells of hay strode out against all these pastures, all these cotton trailers, I just it was just too much work for me to do. I believe tonight as we read the passage, Jesus has a similar feeling as he looks out among all the faces, all the people who don't know him as their Lord and Savior, and he says, the harvest is great, but I just don't have enough hands. Tonight I want to just show you a few things that we found, and one of the most special things to me is the first point that we'll cover And that is an ambassadorial project. That's a big word. And, And sometimes, and you'll notice this as you hear me preach more often, I have to use big long words to just throw in there because it starts with an A or a P. But tonight, that's not the case. The best word I could find for this was ambassador. Look in verse number one of chapter 10. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. And sent them two and two before his face into every city and place, whither he himself would come. You see, basically what we have now is we have the twelve disciples. And those are the guys that we all know. Those are the guys that were with Jesus all the time doing all the great works. And and they were, I don't know, they were just kind of helping Jesus. But it was a time to grow their faith so that they could help build the church after Jesus Christ had gone to heaven and ascended up into heaven. And so we know the twelve disciples. But here we learn that there were many more than twelve disciples. Can I just stop right here and say, these men are unnamed. They're just one of 70. They served Christ not for the fame, not for the glory, but for the obedience of serving Christ. This is not in my sermon at all, and that's not in any of my subpoints. but I believe it is an admirable thing to serve Christ for only the glory of Christ. I hope that you're not working a bus route or you're not knocking doors or you're not taking care packages or you're not helping senior citizens or whatever your ministry is. I hope you're not doing it to hear the preacher say, good job. Because the only one I want to hear good job from is my Lord and Savior. And I believe it's an admirable thing when we do things for the Lord simply because we love the Lord. But you see here, Jesus says... These 70 men who are unnamed, I am going to send you to every city and every place, two by two, and I want you to go prepare the way. I want you to go witness where I can't witness. I want you to go tell others of me where I cannot be. You see, first of all, in our ministries, we go to the same places that Christ goes. Christ will never send you somewhere he is not. You can never go somewhere and do ministry that Christ will not help you. Christ will go with you. If Jesus is the lamb of the gospel, then you are the legs of the gospel. 
For it was Jesus that came and died on the cross, and we know he was our substitutionary payment for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. And I praise the Lord for that. But you see, he cannot tell anybody about himself. It is our job. It is our duty. It is our privilege to be an ambassador for him. An ambassador is someone who goes in the name of another, who goes and he lives in a foreign country, who is not a resident of that country, but is a resident of his country and lives and makes decisions for his country. And I just want to share with you tonight, we, th- this world is not our home. We, we work jobs and we, we gain the dollar bill, but I hope that the reason that you do what you do is not so you can live on this earth, but that you can glorify the Lord and serve the Lord while you're on this earth. We are strangers. We are, we are uh, sojourners in this wicked world. We are the light to a dark world. The Bible says in Matthew 9 and verse 36, because, uh, the, but when the, he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted, and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Christ looked out among the multitudes. This is the uh, uh, parallel passage, if you will, to the passage we find ourselves in Luke chapter 10. The Bible says Jesus was not prompted to say what he said because he was in a farm-type region. He was not looking upon fields of grain or even wheat. The Bible says he saw the people, and they were as sheep having no shepherd. And it was Christ that then said, Behold, the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Not only do we go to the same place, We go with the same power. I want you to understand tonight that Jesus, as he spoke these words, was not giving them his blessing. He was giving them authority. He was saying that if you go, you go in my name. And you go to change this world for my sake. And the power that I have will go with you. The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 18, And Jesus said unto them, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. And then he says, Go ye therefore. It is not without the power of Christ that we can impact this world for Christ. That's the reason our evangelism is waning. That's the reason our testimonies are weak. It's because we do it in our flesh and we do it without the Spirit of God and without the uh, Holy Spirit telling us and guiding our tongue while we're at the door. You see, it is only with the power of Christ that we can change this world for Christ. He was giving more than a blessing. He was giving His authority. But I want you to understand this. Look in verse 17. Now, we didn't read this. He sends them off and he says, you know, I want you to go and I want you to enter into the harvest fields because you are my laborers. Now what's the result? In verse 17, these people return, the 70 return, again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning falling from heaven. Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy. 
and nothing shall by any means hurt you. But this is what's important. Notwithstanding, in this rejoice not, that the spirits are subject unto you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. You see, these 70, Jesus, as I said, was not giving them his blessing. He was giving them his authority, his power. He says, you go and you change the region for my name's sake. Now they come back. All 70 come back and they say, Lord, something amazing happened. We went and we went in obedience to you. But as we were out, the devils... The serpents, everything was subject unto the things that we were saying. And Jesus says, that's not a big deal. No, no, Lord, you don't understand. We we were casting out demons and we were seeing great miracles. He says, what's the big deal? I do that all the time. He says, rejoice in the fact that your name is written in heaven. It's not a big deal if I call someone up to this pulpit, hit them over the face with my Bible, and no longer do they walk with a limp. That's no great miracle. You know what's a great miracle? When somebody bows their head at this altar, and they have a companion right here beside them opening the Word of God and showing them truths out of the Word of God that they had never known. And we get to watch it, and we're all supposed to have our heads bowed and our eyes closed. But we see how verse after verse, they're led through the plan of salvation. And right here, God uses this church, and He uses you and I to witness and to change a sinner's destiny. He says, marvel not, you can cast out demons. Church, we have the power of God. For the gospel is the power of God. To the Jew first, but to the Greek, and to all who will call upon his name. It's not a big deal to heal someone. It's not a big deal to cast out a demon. It's a big deal to change somebody from sinner to saint. It's a big deal that they no longer have to go spend eternity in hell. It's a big deal that they're on their way to heaven to live with Jesus Christ forever and ever. We go with the power and the endorsement of Jesus Christ. Friend, we are an ambassador for Him. And He's given us everything we need to be a great ambassador for Him. Not only do I see an ambassadorial project, but secondly, I want to take a look quickly at an amplified plea. You see, Jesus says, I want you to go. Because the fields are wide unto harvest. Oh, there's a great mission. But before you go, I want to tell you this. Verse 2. And he said unto them, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in, in chapter 11, verse 2 of chapter 10. Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Jesus here tells how 
wonderful the harvest really is. How ready and how ripe it is that there are sinners that need to know Him and there's people that are willing to hear the gospel and to repent and to come to know Him in a knowledge and a relationship with Him. He tells of how wonderful it is. I'm reminded of the story of Jesus going through Samaria. Just happened to go through Samaria. He stops one day at a well at an awkward time and a little bit of an odd time. And there happens to be one woman there. We all know her as the woman at the well. And it's kind of a unique conversation that begins to ensue. She, first of all, says, how are you going to ask me water and you bring nothing to dip with? And Jesus says, well, uh, if you knew what type of water I was talking, you would never thirst again. For I'm speaking of living water. Y'all remember the story. And remember, uh, she then, oh, sir... You, you know that I have five, I've had five husbands and you know that the guy I'm with now is not my own? I perceive that you're a prophet. And then she goes on to tell about, well, should our fathers worship in this mountain or this mountain? And Jesus says, hey, 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 I want you to, he says, uh, I want you to drink of living water. You'll never thirst again. But during the process of this story, in John chapter 4 and verse 35, Jesus turns to his disciples and says this, Say not ye there are four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white unto harvest already. He saw a sinner about to be saved. And he says, disciples, I'm just going to teach you something. We think there's an appointed time to do this, but really, the fields are wide into harvest now. You see, you say, Brother Andrew, I understand that there's people that need to know Jesus all all the time. I know it's a constant, living, evangelistic lifestyle. I understand that. But I'm afraid sometimes we think that the harvest is on Saturday. I'm afraid that we think sometimes that the harvest is only a two-hour appointed time in which we come and we get charged up and we spend 30 minutes uh, of our two hours talking and kind of, you know, telling others about things. But, But really, we don't understand that Jesus was telling his disciples, Hey, look, you say that the harvest is some great, distant, far off thing, but I say unto you, wake up! Lift up your eyes, for the fields are white unto harvest already. The fields are white. At no point in history has the world been more opposed to God. At no point has more wicked, false religions run rampant in our world. The worst one of them all being humanism. You say, what's that? Believing you're God. The the atheist, he says, well, I am the supreme being of the world. There is no God, but the Bible says the fool hath said in his heart there is no God. Romans chapter 1 tells us that every man's conscience tells him that there's a God. The Bible says that even creation itself screams that there's a God. At no point in our history have people with their mouths said, Oh, I don't believe in God. Oh, if there is a God, He's not for me. And I want you to understand today that Jesus says, Wake up! 
For the fields right now are white unto harvest. Church, we need to wake up. You say, Brother Andrew, we're a soul winning church. I know some of the members are. I hope that in you burns a fire to see souls saved. And not only to see souls saved, but for you to have a hand in it. Oh, what a blessing it is to come Sunday and to see somebody accept the Lord. But you sit on the back row and have nothing to do with it. And you say, Amen, praise the Lord, that's a good thing. You're right. But wouldn't it be something if you were the one? Wouldn't it be something if you could say, Lord, because you're so gracious and because you're so kind, I just invited a co-worker in and Brother Gene preached a message. Brother Wolfenbarger preached the gospel and that person got saved. Lord, you used me as an instrument. I hope that we understand today that Jesus says the fields are white unto harvest. It's a pretty special thing to have a child. I've, you know, I've always, people talk about how you're supposed to feel and how you'll feel after it. There's no way of describing it. So if you ever try telling somebody how you're going to feel after you have a child, don't even try. It's impossible. I was trying to prepare myself for how I would feel when I looked into my daughter's face. There was no explaining just the, the feeling. I told the teenagers yesterday on visitation, I said, when I saw my daughter, what I wanted to do was take a shovel and concave my chest, place my daughter inside of my body, and just curl up. And they were like, that's gross, Brother Andrew, that's weird. I wanted to be so close to my daughter. It was the most amazing, phenomenal feeling. With just last Monday, I can say that my world changed more than it had ever changed before at any time except for salvation. You see, I looked into my daughter's face and I understood that there was nothing in this world that I wouldn't do to make her happy. And it's just my opinion, but I think she's the prettiest girl on the face of the earth. It's just my opinion, but I think she's already trying to talk. I think that she's actually walked three steps. And I think she's probably going to get saved tonight. You see, I look at my daughter and I say, man, she's the most amazing baby in the world. What a beautiful thing. This is amazing. And you go over and look at my daughter and you say, oh, how cute. But you don't feel the same way I feel about her. Isn't it funny how my, my relationship with my daughter changes how I feel about her? God has the same relationship with every person on this earth that I have with Caitlin. We may look at the homosexual and say, what a wicked sinner. God says, I want to see him saved. We look at people and we say, oh, they would never accept Christ. They're, they're probably very, very opposed to anything that has to do with God. There's no use of me witnessing to them. And God looks at that sinner just like I look at my daughter and say, I wish somebody would tell him. Jesus looks and he says, man, the harvest is wonderful. But secondly, he then begins to describe a waning help. This is a little sad. Verse 2. 
the harvest is great. It's, it's large, it's huge, it it's truly is great. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. So it's unique. Jesus says, the harvest is great, but there's just not enough people to work in my field. And then he goes on to tell how those who are laboring already should pray that more laborers would come. You see, I want you to notice tonight that laborers, not spectators, are who pray for more help. People who sit on the sidelines, they're just spectators. They don't ask for uh, help. They don't, don't, Lord, please bring some more people so that they can work and me just sit on the sidelines. I, I just find it very unique that Jesus says, pray for more laborers, you laborers. I love our church. I think our church does a lot of things very well. One of the things that I'm very excited about, and I hope you're excited about it as well, is our discipleship program. See, our discipleship program is specifically designed to take a person who is saved to a person who knows their God. There's a difference. Basically, the discipleship program is something that I got in four years of Bible college. It's that all wrapped up into about a 10-week deal. It's an amazing thing. And I would, I would encourage you, if you have never, ever been in part uh, or been involved in our discipleship program and you want to learn some more, you want to further your walk with the Lord, jump in it. It's amazing. See, that's what Jesus is talking about. True discipleship. Because true disciples multiply more disciples. And you pray for more disciples. You don't pray for salvations. You pray for laborers. It's kind of a, a, a sad thing that the Lord says, the harvest is so great, but I just am a few hands short of what I need. Hope our church is trying to strive to be the hands that God can use. Hope we're trying to further our relationship with Him so that His joy and His love and, and all that can spill out onto the surrounding people in our day-to-day lives. Thirdly, as we move on, this is a very strange thing that the Lord then tells us of. He tells us in verse 3 of an adverse pilgrimage. He says, man, the laborers are few, the harvest is great, you're going with my power, you're going with my authority, all that. But in verse 3, go your ways. Behold, I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Whew, that's scary. I just told the teenagers this past Wednesday, uh, I guess it was this past Wednesday, I don't remember when it was, but I was preaching to them and, I told him of my first sermon that I ever preached in front of the church. I was very young, maybe 11 or 12 years old, and, you know, I was just up here winging it, using one of Dad's outlines, trying to figure out how to get through it, kind of like I am tonight, okay? So, and, you know, I was nervous. I didn't know what I was doing, but 
At one point in the sermon, I got somehow, obviously, every good Baptist preacher gets on the devil at some point, right? And I began to tell how the, the Bible told that the devil was just a roaming, roaring lion. And then I commenced to freestyle. And that's not good for an 11-year-old preacher. I began to chase rabbits. And I said, now I don't know about you, but I've seen the Discovery Channel. And I've seen what the lions do to the gazelles and the gazebos. And I'm sure the conviction set into the hearts of many sinners that day. Everybody in the auditorium laughed. And I was like, well, I thought I was ripping, but hey, if that wasn't funny, all right. I had no clue what I was talking about until years later I listened to it on CD and I was like... Maybe 11-year-old me was smarter than 16-year-old me. I don't think a gazebo is an animal at all. Maybe the lion got mad at the wooden shelter because it wasn't providing enough shade. I don't know. But I've seen what they do to those gazebos on the savannas of Africa. I've seen them tear them apart. Yeah, it was just a funny thing, but, but truly I was trying to emphasize what Satan does to devour animals, what, what he does to devour Christians. But really, I don't know if you know this, but wolves have a higher kill rate than, than uh, lions. You know, my dad and I heard the other day that once a wolf pack starts tracking an elk, they never don't kill. 100%. They kill every time. I've been in the woods and I've seen lions, mountain lions. Not, I've never been to Africa. I was one day under a gazebo and I was like, whoa, better get out of here. <laughs> He's coming to destroy this thing. Because <laughs> I watch the Discovery Channel. I was in Colorado and we saw a mountain lion walk through the valley. And I remember being scared the rest of the trip. But I'll be honest with you, there probably is nothing more in the animal kingdom that scares me any more than a pack of wolves. You know why? Because they hunt in groups. They're strong. And they kill all the time. And this is what Jesus says. I send you forth as lambs among wolves. Scary. You see, I believe the Bible when it says in John 15, 18, if the world hate you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. I believe the Bible when it says in 1 John chapter 3, marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you. John 16, verse 33, the Bible says, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. You understand that Jesus did say, I send you forth as lambs amongst wolves. And today we have so many authorities above us that hate everything we stand for. Every day they attack Christianity. Every day they attack the perfection and the holiness of God's word. Every day they're tearing down at our marriage and our churches. It's a bad deal. Jesus says, be of good cheer. 
I've overcome the world. John chapter 10. I am the good shepherd. You see, you don't fear wolves when the good shepherd's got your back. You don't fear wolves when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Oh, my friends, it's a good thing to know that Jesus is the one that protects us. Oh, it is an adverse place. It is an adverse thing that we must do, that we must have to go to this world and tell them about the gospel. But Jesus says, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Oh, we see as we move on, I'm trying to hurry, don't want to keep you. I know everybody's going to go home and cry because the Rangers lost on a walk-off Grand Slam. But fourthly, oh, they're like, oh, I'll take the game. <laughs> Just turn it off at inning number 10, okay? We see, fourthly, an abandoned priority. Now, I said earlier in the introduction to the message that there were some things that just simply did not apply to our evangelism. This was a specific thing that Christ had requested of these specific disciples to minister to these specific Jews. Now in verse 4, we do see an abandoned priority, though. Carry neither purse, nor script, nor shoes, and salute no man by the way. And to whatsoever house ye enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if the Son of Peace be there, your peace shall rest upon it, If not, it shall turn to you again. Now, as I said earlier, I don't believe that we are to go soul winning with no wallet. I don't necessarily believe it's wrong to uh, earn a living, but I do believe there's a lesson in this for us because we must understand that their evangelism was directly and absolutely tied to their faith in God's providence. Jesus says, don't worry about what your money situation is going to be like. Don't worry about your food. Don't worry about any of that. I will provide when you're obeying me. And this is what I want to tell you tonight, Christian. I do not go knock on doors because I think I have some ability within myself to witness to some man. I go in faith knowing that God can provide. I go in faith knowing that the gospel still works and that it still changes lives. I go saying, Lord, please use just a sinful man. Please use me to help you spread the gospel. You see, they were, Jesus said, I want you to go, but I want you to go in faith knowing that I can provide any of your needs. And truly, church, when we go soul winning, when we go to tell the gospel, when we go to live our day-to-day lives, a lifestyle evangelism, it must be done in faith, knowing that Christ can provide. And I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about He can provide the salvation of lost men. It's an amazing thing. Psalm 126, verses 5 through 6, very, very popular verses. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. The reason our evangelism is so ineffective is we do it not in faith, but in our flesh. We get get out of our bed and we say, okay, today I'm going to go tell somebody about Christ. 
And then we get up to the person and we, we have this little cheer going on within ourselves. Today I'm going to tell somebody. Today I'm going to tell somebody. Without ever taking a moment to say, Lord, please work in this man's heart. I cannot direct him to salvation. It must be by the drawing of your Holy Spirit. Our evangelism is directly tied to our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Finally, now we're to the fifth point. You say, Brother Andrew, you usually only have three, three points, two subpoints, and a poem. That's right, but I'm trying to throw you a couple curveballs, okay? Because I saw what teams do to fastballs right down the middle today. All right? <laughs> that was a joke. You didn't watch the Ranger game for you that taped it. Just kidding. Sorry. I apologize. We're moving on. Point number five. We see finally an awesome publication. He says the fields are wide unto harvest. The laborers are few, but pray that the Lord will send more laborers into the harvest field. But this is what we are spreading in verse number 9. And heal the sick that are therein. And say unto them, the kingdom of God is come nigh unto you. You see, at this point, as Jesus is charging and he is challenging these 70 disciples of our Lord, he's telling them to go do what they're going to do for the glory of God, and they're going to go with his authority. They're going to go with his power. They're going to go witness to all the regions. Then he says, you know what you're going to tell them? That the kingdom of God has come. The king of the kingdom of God was standing right in front of them. Jesus says, you tell them about me. You tell them how good I am and all these miracles I can do. You tell them how I can heal broken hearts. You tell them how I can heal broken homes. You tell them about the king of glory who stands in front of you now. Someone once said evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. So many times, Christians, I believe, are intimidated to tell others about their faith because they, they, they feel as if they don't know enough about their faith. They're afraid that if they were to get halfway through the gospel presentation and not really remember where Romans 6.23 or, or even John 3.16, you know, because you go blank in times of panic and stress. and You say, well, I know that for God so love the world is in there. I just don't know where. And, and you're afraid that you'll just freeze up. But I look at Peter's preaching, and I see that most of the time he was just telling what God did in his own life. You know why you're a witness for the Lord? It's because you're just telling others what he's done for you. It doesn't have to be the Romans road. It can be your own road. It can be what the Lord's done in your own life. Acts chapter 4, Peter begins to preach and he says, Be it known unto you all. And to all the people of Israel, but by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, and this is very nice, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. It's his own testimony. 
He then proceeds to tell them, This is the stone which was set at night of you builders, which has become the head of the corners. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none under name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. Peter didn't tell them some great thing. He says, Jesus died. God raised him. He changed me. And he's who you must be saved by. We have a wonderful message. Why are we not bolder? Why are, we not, why are we so intimidated to tell the world of the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ? What an awesome message we have. Now, I'm closing in the words of my father. But this is the last thing I'll do. In the third word of my father. <laughs> One time at West Coast... I was spiritually dry. You know, you go to Bible college and and they have you go to bed at 11. Have you wake up for first hour at 7. They devotionalize you and they preach you and they teach you. And really, you, you do ministry, but at times you can just get tired. And I remember one night, my roommate had asked me to come and pick him up from work. It was at 2 o'clock in the morning he got off. I was a good roommate. Actually, I just went off campus to go get something to eat, so I went and got him. At 2 o'clock in the morning, I remember getting in my truck, and I just, I just needed something from the Lord. And I got in my truck, and I turned down um, uh, 40th Street East in Lancaster, I got down to Avenue J, and I turned straight down Avenue J, and I remember praying out loud as I was driving, and I said, Lord, I need you to show yourself to me. I mean, I'm out here in California. I don't know what I'm doing. My mom and dad are shooting big deer. I'm eating Little Caesar's pizza every day. I'm tired, Lord. I... I'm trying to walk with you. I'm trying to be who you want me to be. But I just simply have not seen you in some time. I remember making my way down Avenue J and my roommate worked at CVS Pharmacy. I pulled into CVS with tears coming out of my eyes saying, Lord, please show yourself to me. Reveal yourself to me like I've never seen you before. I pull up and it's about 150. My, friend, my roommate still had about 10 minutes till he was off. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I looked over at uh, where the flowers and stuff were. And there was, a brick placed, there was a place where some bricks were built up. And there was a Hispanic man sitting on those bricks. And he was crying. Crying, just sobbing. Nobody else was around him. Nothing else was going on. Two o'clock in the morning, he's just sobbing in front of CVS Pharmacy. And the Lord said, there it is. And I said, I ain't getting out at two o'clock in the morning. I ain't getting out at CVS Pharmacy at two o'clock in the morning. It's open 24 hours a day. I don't even know what goes on at night at CVS Pharmacy. This guy's crying. I don't know if he's on drugs. I don't know if he's drunk. I don't know if his girlfriend just stabbed him in the chest with a knife. I don't know what's going on. I'm not getting out of my truck. And the Lord said, there it is. So 
with 10 minutes to go before my roommate got out of, uh, got off work. I got out of my truck and I walked over to him. I said, sir, are you okay? He began to tell me a little bit about how he lived in Los Angeles, which is about an hour away. Some friends had brought him up, but they had left him. And he didn't have a ride back home. So he was sitting in front of CVS Pharmacy crying. I said, sir, I'm going to be honest. CVS was a long way to drive at 2 o'clock in the morning. Los Angeles is a lot farther. I can't take you home. But maybe I have a question for you. I said, okay. I said, sir, if you died right now, do you know you'd go to heaven? And in my mind, I swore he was going to say, get out of here with that mess. Man, I got bigger problems on my plate. I got to get home. I'm an hour away. I don't know what's going on. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm hungry. I'm tired. I, I, I don't need to fool with that mess. But he said, I don't know. And at 2 o'clock in the morning, I was able to take my Bible. And I was able to show that man the plan of salvation. And he accepted Christ as his Savior, sitting in front of CVS Pharmacy at 2 o'clock in the morning. I got back in the pickup truck. I said, Lord, you've been there the whole time. You've been looking at me saying, Andrew, wake up. Anywhere you go, spread the gospel. I'll go with you. Anytime you spread the gospel in my name, asking for my help, doing it for my glory, Andrew, I'll be there. And that man at CVS Pharmacy was just a testimony of that. Joshua Baptist Church, we have so many programs and so many Sunday school classes and so much going on. Maybe it's time to just get back to loving the Lord, living for the Lord and trusting in Him to help this church do what we're supposed to do. Maybe it's just time we just say, Lord, show Yourself to us. We have nothing to offer You, but Lord, You have everything to offer us. For the fields are wide unto harvest. Lift up your eyes, they're wide unto harvest already. Romans chapter 10, one of my favorite verses, the Bible says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Then it says, For how shall they call upon him who they have not believed? And how shall they believe on him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? You are the laborer for the Lord. And he says, Wake up. The fields are white unto harvest.